Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Lord, we never take it for granted this time that we have to come together in your presence. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into everybody here. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but my prayer is that they will get something out of the message that will change their lives for the better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's say our Bible confession. Take your Bible in your hand. If it's digital, hard copy, doesn't matter to me as long as it's the word of God. But let's say this confession together. Let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Family, we are still in the series. I'm teaching still from the series, Peace Within. And as you are aware, we have locked in on a sub-series called The Door. Let me present to you this first image. We've gone through some main messages. And here is a basic depiction of what those main messages have been. We've talked about more, but these are the main messages. Main message number one, Jesus is the door. In John 10, he says, I am the door. And in John 14, he comes right out and kind of doubles down on that and says, the only way you can get to God is through me. He is the door. We also said, he told each and every one of us as believers that we have a mission. We call it a commission, a mission that we're doing together to lead others to him. In effect, lead others by being a door to the door. That's the other message. What is the third message? that all this leading folks through these doors to God means that God, what like our doors, positioned in the place that he wants them positioned in. And he could send our doors to one of two general destinations. He can send them to a familiar place or an unfamiliar place. We've talked about familiar place. We've had two rounds of discussions on unfamiliar place. Today, we have our third round of discussing unfamiliar place, and this will be our last round of discussion about unfamiliar place. And what better place to stop the talk about unfamiliar place than to talk about the door himself? Jesus. Before we go past this initial image, though, and get past this initial stage, I want us all to consider something. Oh, we're going to talk about Jesus in the context of the unfamiliar. But I want us all to acknowledge that Jesus stood in the earth, on the earth, amongst mankind with his feet firmly rooted in both the familiar and the unfamiliar. He simultaneously stood in both. 
What, am I, what do I mean by that? Well, let's first talk quickly about what would be familiar. The Bible says in Genesis 1 that God created everything, right? Let's take a look at this. Amplified Classic, Genesis 1, verse 1 and 26. Verse 1 says, In the beginning God prepared, formed, fashioned, and created the heavens and the earth. We slide down to verse 26. God said, let us, that's plural, not by myself, let us, the Amplified Classic leaves nothing to question. It says, let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make mankind in our image after our likeness and let them have complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all of the earth and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So Jesus was there at the beginning of creation. If we go a little farther into Genesis, not too much farther, by the time we get to chapter 3, we get to what's called the fall of man, where Adam and Eve had their little disobedient activity, and God said, after that, all these other things will be so. Guess what? Jesus was there for that, too. And he has been there throughout time. He didn't just show up in the New Testament. The reason we talk through that is that Jesus is familiar with the earth. He's familiar with the fullness thereof. He's familiar with man. He's familiar with how man can be. He's familiar with the good, the bad, and the ugly. The world is not unfamiliar to Jesus. It's familiar. What about his unfamiliarities, though? If he is Jesus, if he's the son of God, if he's been around forever, if he started, if he was part of starting the start, what can possibly be unfamiliar with, with him? How can you possibly put him in this discussion? Well, I'm glad you asked. See, look at here. There are some unfamiliarities that he had to deal with. And you could probably think of more, but here are three of them. The first one, being birthed into the world as an infant. The little baby Jesus experience. That's unfamiliar to him. He was part of creating mortality, but now he is mortal. Different. The second thing, living life in the flesh. Dealing with the feelings and the thoughts and the emotions of being human. Dealing with the people and the spirits and the events that bring forth certain feelings and thoughts and emotions as a human. That's new to him. And of course, experiencing the cross or what I like to call the cross journey. All of those things are unfamiliar. He is what we can call in an unfamiliar place. When Jesus was a baby, of course, he had people to take care of him. And when he was a toddler, he had people to take care of him. But at one point in time, he crossed over to where he could start doing stuff for himself. He became an, a teenager, an older youngster, that kind of stuff. And one of the first acts that we see in the Bible that he does happens when he's around 12 years old. Notice this image here. Jesus' parents, this is Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 48, easy to read. Some of the text is larger because we're reading that. These smaller texts, just take it for your notes, read it for yourself. At the entry there, it says verse 41 through 52, because we're going to go through all of them, but we're really focused on 41 through 48 right now. 41 says, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover, fest Passover festival. 
when Jesus was 12 years old, they went to the festival as usual. Now, what happens is they go to the festival. After the festival, everybody leaves, but Jesus stays, but they don't know that he stayed. So they get home, and mama and daddy like, hey, where's Jesus? Mama say, I don't know. I thought he was with you. Daddy says, well, I thought he was with you. Somebody say, I think I saw him with Felicia. <laughs> Felicia say, he ain't with me. I thought he was busting him. Buster say, he ain't with me. I thought he was with you. So they're going through this. Right, where is Jesus at? So eventually they go back to Jerusalem and start looking for him. Verse 46, after three days, they found him. Jesus was sitting in the temple area with the religious leaders, listening and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and wise answers. At 12. At 12. We're coming back to that. It goes on to say, eventually, when his mama got a chance to talk to him, and his mother said, we have been looking for you. In other words, we've been tearing up this city trying to find you. Got my weave itching. Got your daddy all worried. That's basically what she said. We've been looking for you. Take a peek back up a little bit because he's 12 years old. There are some insights that I want to give you in regards to God positioning your door in an unfamiliar place. And with your mind locked in on that he's doing this at 12 years of age, here is your first insight. Once positioned in that unfamiliar place, pursue growing in God's wisdom early. Once God has instructed you or clued you in or given you an idea of what your mission is or what your calling is, don't wait to pursue his wisdom. Jesus is 12, and he's on his assignment, learning. He hadn't started his ministry yet, but he's learning. He's getting what he needs to get to make sure he's done his part to be successful in what God wants him to do. In your familiar place, pursue the wisdom of God early. But we also said, Jesus' mom was like, hey, we've been looking all over for you. Where you been? Jesus answers that question. Let's continue. This is verse 49 through 52. Easy to read, Luke chapter 2. Jesus said to them, his parents, folks looking for him, why did you have to look for me? You should have known that I must be where my father's work is. Now, some other things there, but let's go ahead and go down to verse 52. As Jesus grew taller, he continued to grow in wisdom. Jesus tells his mom, why did you have to look for me? You should have known. I'll be about my father's business. As a matter of fact, in the Amplified Classic, Luke says it this way. And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, how is it that you had to look for me? Did you not see and know that it is necessary as a duty for me to be in my father's house and occupied about my father's business? Not just doing my father's business, Occupied. When what God has called you to do occupies your time, there is no room for anything else. When you see a person that does what God called them to do every now and then, when they off and on, they're not occupied. 
when you are consumed with the mission. I never have to wonder where I can find you. You will be about your father's business. Notice this. Luke chapter 3, verses 21 through 23 in the Amplified Classic. We're taking a quick trek through Jesus' life up to a point. That's when he was 12. This part in Luke is when he gets baptized by John the Baptist. Here we go, verses 21 through 23. And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized, and while he was still praying, the visible heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven saying, You are my son, my beloved, in you I am well pleased and find delight. Jesus himself, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age. Loved ones, in this account, Jesus gets baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him. God says this, my boy, and I love him. Shortly thereafter, actually, in chapter 4, The Bible says that the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and there the devil tests him. Let's go. Am I going too fast? All right. Still in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Amplified Classic. Let's not forget what we just read, though. We're coming back to that. Holy Spirit descended on him. God said, it's my boy. He started his ministry. Luke 4, chapter, verse 1, Amplified Classic. Then Jesus, full of, full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in by the Holy Spirit for and doing 40 days, for or during 40 days in the wilderness or the desert, where he was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil. So the Holy Spirit leads him into the wilderness where the devil tries him for 40 days. A quick side note. In round two of our discussion of unfamiliar places, we shared that God instructed Moses to send 12 spies into the promised land, and they stayed for 40 days. In that account, God sends, effectively God sends, his people into the physical. Here, the Spirit sends Jesus into, for 40 days, the spiritual. That's just a note for you. Let's keep going. Just a little added insight. Now, let's read Luke 1, 4, Luke 4, verse 1 through 3, Amplified Classic, all the way through Verses 1 through 3. Then Jesus, full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in by the Holy Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were completed, he was hungry. Then the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, order this stone to turn into a loaf of bread. Let's focus on this really quick. For those of us who find ourselves in an unfamiliar place, let's lock in on this. When you read this, sometimes when you read it, and I've read it in the past, and this has kind of crossed my mind, depending on what translation I'm reading it out of, you can get the idea that Jesus fasted and prayed for 40 days. And then on day 40, the devil came and tested him. That's not the case. 
the Amplified Classic, makes it clearer. It says, Jesus was there for 40 days where he was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil. So day one, he was tested and tried. Day two, tested and tried. Day 10, tested and tried. Day 23, tested and tried. Day 38, tested and tried. He was tested and tried every day. And not a wimpy test. It says tested exceedingly to a great degree. He tested him. There is an insight for us. Go back up to Luke 3 for me. A quick reminder. He just came out of the, out of the river. Holy Spirit descended on him. God announced who he is. He began his ministry in the wilderness, being tested exceedingly right on the heels of this. Here's your insight. Go to the next insight. The moment God anoints you openly, the devil puts efforts into derailing you. The Holy Spirit enters your life when you say yes to Christ. Don't be surprised that the efforts come. At the beginning of his ministry, the efforts come. The moment God says, this is my beloved son, oh, is he? The efforts come. And the efforts come exceedingly. The moment God anoints you. When I say the efforts come, that don't mean that you see the attack right away. Some of the worst thing, and I, I have to say I have, I have been blessed in life. I haven't had a lot of enemies that I know of, but I've had some. And some of the worst attacks happen when somebody has taken the time to strategize that thing. Can be right in front of you, breaking bread with you, Judas. But the devil's plan to derail you starts the moment, the moment God anoints you openly. There is no delay. His efforts start early. And you might say to me, say, Pastor, hold up now. Technically speaking, you're trying to get me on a technicality. I see you. See, technically speaking, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tested. The devil didn't go after him as much as the Holy Spirit led him in. And, and facts. Nobody's, nobody's denying that. That's facts. But I will also say that the devil did not turn down the opportunity. Plus, that is not the first time the devil tried to derail Christ. When Jesus was a toddler, he tried to have him assassinated through King Herod. Notice. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, easy to read. <coughs> Now, a little backdrop, because when we were talking about Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and God said, this is my beloved son. We have an announcement. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was born, that there were shepherds in a field, and an angel said, unto you this day a Savior is born. 
an announcement. It also says that joining that angels were a host of others in the heavens singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. It also says that wise men saw the, saw the star and they start traveling. So it was known that somewhere a savior had been born, that this could possibly be the Messiah. So there was an announcement. King Herod wanted the wise men to tell him, where, did this baby, where is this baby? So I can come and kill it. The wise man didn't give up all the details, but he was able to extract some information from them, and then he puts his plan to work. It says, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 through 18, easy to read, Herod saw that the wise man had fooled him, and he was very angry. So he gave an order to kill all the babies in Bethlehem and the whole area around Bethlehem. Herod had learned from the wise men the time the baby was born. It was now two years from that time, so he said to kill all boys who were two years old and younger. So the moment the enemy believes you could be positive to God, the attack comes. Now reflecting, reflecting back on this wilderness experience, it's not so much that, quite frankly, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. That's not what you should be thinking about, in my opinion. That's not what you, in, in this discussion, that's not what you should be thinking about. Here is what you should ponder. Jesus is 30. Basically, why would the devil test him? Why would the devil even try him? Let me say it differently. The devil know Jesus. Jesus was around since the beginning. The devil used to be part of the heavenly host. The devil know Jesus. He know him as the son of God. Jesus say, I was there when he fell from heaven. He looked like lightning falling down from heaven. He came down so quick. He know he's part of the triune God. He know he's one with the Father. Why even try to test him? I'll tell you why. Because the devil has a great hope. His great hope is that because Jesus is in an unfamiliar place, human body, that because Jesus is now in an unfamiliar place, that Jesus will be susceptible to compromise. He knows who he is. But the hope is dealing with the thoughts and emotions and the feelings of this body may open him up to compromise because he's having to deal with the unfamiliar. Mm, notice this. Luke 4, verses 1 through 3 again. Then Jesus full of and controlled by the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led in by the Holy Spirit for 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted, tried, tested exceedingly by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were completed, he was hungry. Then, everybody say then. Mm. Then the devil said to him some things. Loved ones, the devil has a great hope. He has a great hope that because Jesus is in the unfamiliar, that Jesus will compromise. He looks at you the same way. When God puts you in the unfamiliar 
and you're having to deal with that level of uncomfortability, the devil hopes that whatever he sends your way will get you to compromise. Think about this. He has tried and tested Jesus for 40 days. Verse 3 says, then. What is the deal with that then? Why do I lock in on that then? I will tell you why. I believe, my personal belief, even though the Bible says that he was tested exceedingly for 40 days, all the other tests, all the other offers, all the other things that came Jesus' way, they were enticing. But I believe at verse 3, the then, he pulls out his most tempting offers. Let me be more specific. As Jesus started in day one, his body was in a certain condition. I fasted before. My wife and my kids, my children, always laugh at me because one time we did this fast years ago that was water only. And it was days. And I remember I started on that fast. I looked like a superhero. Day one. Day two, I started to feel a little different. I had a little headache, but I still had the S on my chest. I'm talking, it was, it was day, it was, it was four days, it was a lot of, by the end of it, if, 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 if we had a couch, I would, I would show you. I was laying on the couch with my arm hanging down. And my wife came up to me, baby, are you okay? I literally, I was weak. I'm talking, as my friend Eric says, food is energy. But you don't realize food is energy, you ain't got no food. Now, I'm giving you the high-level version, but to this day, my wife and children are like, bruh, we thought you was up out of here. <laughs> but he did it for 40 days. So as he tested him, I believe he was looking. He knew he was starving. He knew he was weak. He know he was in a depleted state. He know he was drained. And each day, the exceeding test got more exceedingly testy. In verse 3, though, it says, then. And the devil's going to make three requests, but I call them offers. He made Jesus three offers. We're not going to go through those offers because that's not our point today. Our point is he waited to hold his greatest temptation when Jesus was at his worst, when his energy tank was at his lowest, when he was at the end of his rope. That's when the devil pulled out his big offers. What's the insight for you? Here you go. Your insight is this, family. Hold on, it's coming. I'm going to tell you what it is. That the, oh, here we go. I want you to read this with me because there is a timing to the devil's temptation. He ain't just throwing stuff out there. Ain't no karate movie where he just throwing, throwing stars at you, trying to hit you. No, no, no. There is a timing to his temptation. Ready? Let's read. The devil will present you with his most enticing temptations 
at your weakest or most vulnerable moment. He don't get you when you're strong. He don't get you when you're confident. He don't get you when, you're, when everything's right with the world. No. When he sends his offer, his strongest offer is going to be when you're most vulnerable. That offer to say what you know you shouldn't say, that offer is going to come at your weakest. That offer to do what you know you're not supposed to do going to come when you're most vulnerable. That offer to act like you know you're not supposed to act is going to come when you're most vulnerable. That offer to feel like you're supposed to feel, to confess what you, what you know you're not supposed to, what you, that, listen here. There are times when you could even feel yourself getting ready to say or do something that you know you're not supposed to say or do. And if you honest with yourself, if you go ahead and say it anyway and do it anyway or act that way anyway and you reflect on it, it caught you at a weak point. It caught you at a vulnerable moment. The devil has a timing. And when you're in the unfamiliar, he's going to pull out his big enticements at your lowest point when he thinks he got you on the ropes, when he thinks you might compromise. Jesus, he passed the test successfully. And our hope is that we all passed our tests successfully. Amen. What I want us to kind of shift into now, though, is when Jesus passed this test, there are people who, it, it, myself included, I don't want you to think I'm just talking about people out there, myself included, that when you look at that account, you kind of say to yourself, well, Jesus resisted the devil. He succeeded because he resisted the devil. Many people say that. And there's truth to that. I'm not denying that. But to back that up, they slide into 1 Peter and say, the Bible say, if you resist the devil, he'll flee. Let's look at that, though. James chapter 4, verse 7, King James Version. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee. There are t-shirts on that. There are people all on the social media talking about that. And believers say that all the time. Resist the devil and he will flee. Well, come on, let your papa pastor bring you in close now because it's time to teach you. Oh, I'm building up to something. Don't think I'm just here bumping my gums. I'm, oh, we going to leave here inspired today. You're going to go into your unfamiliar place inspired today. Even if you're in the familiar, oh, you're going to be inspired today to do something that God needs you to do. Loved ones, resisting the devil is not enough to succeed. It's not enough to resist the devil. You know, if you put your sights on resisting the devil only, odds are, odds are, or the odds increase greatly that the devil will defeat you. The common disconnect, especially those who grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, some call it, the, that's the real Bible, you know, the dusts and the dows. Is that your mind, because of how we're taught to read, 
your mind disjoints this verse. It says, submit yourself, therefore, to God. It puts a period there. And then resist the devil and he will flee from you. That verse is two parts. That verse isn't just resist the devil. The voice translation smooths it out better. Let's see. King James says, submit yourself, therefore, to God, period. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Here's the voice. So submit yourselves to the one true God and fight against the devil and his schemes. If you do, he will run away in failure. So for success, you have to submit and fight. King James says resist. No, 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 no. Fight. You got to resist and fight. I mean, you got to submit and fight. Some of that text is in red. I want us to read just the red ones together as if it were a sentence. The only caveat is when that word is underlined, give me some emphasis. Say it from your chest. Like if I tell, if I tell my wife, we're going to go on vacation and we're going to have fun. That's a combination. Baby, we're going on vacation and, and we're going to have fun. <laughs> Quick side note. <laughs> There's a rule at our house. There's a rule at our house. If we go on vacation, if I'm spending money, we having fun. No, 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 no. Wait, hold on, hold on now. Don't, don't, let, I, want you to, I want you to shout with me, but, but here's the, here's the punchline. If we gonna go somewhere, and I'm included, I'm gonna, got, I'm gonna have rocks in my jaws about you, and you're gonna have rocks in your jaws about me, and we gonna be on opposite sides of the bed, and you gonna go one place, I'm gonna go another place, and we ain't gonna talk to each other, we could have done that crap for free. I ain't going to pay for frustration. I ain't going to pay for a bad time. I ain't going to pay to argue with you. We could do that mess for free. So when we read that, I want you to put some emphasis on that and and on that if. Because you got to submit and fight. Here we go. Ready to go. Submit to God and fight the devil. If you do, he will run away. Loved ones, you got to submit to God and fight the devil. Submit and fight. Pray and fight. Believe and fight. Study and fight. Hope and fight. And fight. And fight. And fight. Confess and fight. You got to do both. If you submit alone and don't fight, you lose. If you fight and don't submit, you lose. You got to do both to win. Submit to God and fight the devil and his schemes. That's all lumped into that. You got to do both. And when you are in your unfamiliar place and the enemy wants to hit you at your most vulnerable moment, that's when you got to be locked in that, oh, doggone it, I'm going to submit, but I'm also going to fight. I got an opinion I want to share, though. And I know last session I showed, shared my opinion about, had a young person opinion about how, in my opinion, even though I, I love all generations of people, I'm not talking about anybody in a bad way. Like, I don't want it to sound bad, but there is like an air of something is due me. 
right? I got another soapbox today. I'm just talking about me, my experience. Because you got to submit and fight. In my experience, when I was growing up, the people I grew up with, my, my kind, it wasn't, it's not a race thing, just my kind, my generate, my people. I feel like, I just, I just feel like they had more emotional, mental, and spiritual fight. They had fight in them. They weren't so quick to give up. Fight was in their DNA. They had, and I'm not talking about fisticuffs fight, even though a lot of them would throw hands. But I'm talking about a fight within. They weren't so quick to quit. They would tough things out. These days, especially, I'm going to make it even broader, especially people who grew up in our country. Because you'll see people from other countries come over here and they got fight. Oh, they got some, they got some backbone. They got some tough it out. But I find that there are more people who just don't have that fight in them. Let me bring it to us as believers. Especially believers. Oh, we got the submit part down. We'll read our Bible, we'll pray. We'll come to church, we'll submit. But when the, the stinky stuff hit the fan, we seem to be weak. We, we tend to throw in the towel early. It's almost as if we've lost that fight. But family, you got to fight to succeed. And you got to fight to win. I want, God wants me to instill in you that you got to have a certain fight in you to succeed. What does fight look like, though? Look at this image. Family, if I'm telling you that you got to fight, I would be, in my opinion, less of a teacher if I don't give you a visual of what fight look like. Fight. Not leave me alone, devil, but fight. Not gone now, but fight. Not stop playing now, but fight. What does fight look like? I'm going to preface. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to show you a two-minute video clip. Here's the preface. It's a woman fighting a man. It's a movie clip. There are no words. But I want you to imagine that you are the woman and the devil and his schemes are that man. I announce that because I also realize if any of you have ever been in a situation where somebody was attacking you and you don't want to watch this, it's not gory. I made sure I, I made sure that. It's just a fight scene. But if that's going to bother you, here's your time to bow for two minutes. But while that scene is going on, I'm going to talk to you. 
But I want you to realize the fight. He's stronger than her, but she got fight. What does fight look like? Mm-mm-mm. Show them what fight look like. Keep my mic on. Give me some sound. Now, he's, he's bigger than her. He's stronger than her. But she ain't got no quit in her. This how you fight. You fight to win. You don't, you don't, you don't just go in the ring with submission. No, you fight. You fight. You fight. You fight. You fight. You fight for your calling. You fight for God's mission. You fight for your purpose. You fight for your promised land. You fight. You fight. You fight. You fight for whatever it is he wants you to do. You fight. Oh, you fight. And you notice something. It ain't that. It's not that she's not getting hit. She's getting hit. But you know what she's doing? She's hitting back. When the enemy hits you, you hit him back. When he comes at you, you go harder. And you don't quit until you succeed. It matters not. You don't quit. You fight. What, what, what? And you fight with whatever you got. What's in your arsenal? Fight with it. Spiritually. Don't just confess, pray. Don't just pray, do whatever it is, sing worship, sing praise. Bring out everything at your disposal to fight. You got to fight until the battle is done. That's how you fight. You got to submit and fight. For your calling, fight. For the mission, fight. For your assignment, Fight to get to your promised land. Fight for your purpose. Fight. You got to submit and fight. Especially when you're in the unfamiliar. That's when he's going to come at you with his best. Thinking that you're on the ropes. Thinking that you're vulnerable. You got to fight. But what about making it more personal? Because we said God does not care, care more about the mission than you. For your marriage, fight. Pastor, it's very odd to put the, 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 the word marriage in with unfamiliar place, is it not? If you don't think marriage can end up being an unfamiliar place, ask somebody who's been married for a while. Ask somebody who's been divorced. You can wake up one day in a familiar marriage, wake up the next day, somebody did something stupid, somebody said something crazy, and all of a sudden, everything unfamiliar. But if you believe that that is what God has called you to be, and to be in that state, to be in that situation, you got to submit, and more importantly, you got to be wanting to, you got to want to fight. You got to fight for your marriage and your family and your friendships and your education and your business and your health. You got to fight. I tell my family, you have to be willing to go harder than the things that are going hard against you. You got to be willing to fight harder than the things that are fighting against you. You got to be willing to work harder than the things that are working hard against you. You got to be willing to work harder to keep your marriage than the devil is working to break it down. You got to be willing to work harder to keep your family than he's working to tear it down. Harder to keep your friendship, harder to keep your education going, harder to keep your business going, harder to keep your health up, Harder, harder, harder than he is working to tear you down. You got to submit and fight. You have to do both. And when you fight, you fight 
to win. In Jesus' wilderness experience, we also pick up something in Luke in the Amplified Classic. Just because he won does not mean the devil left him alone forever. Luke chapter 4, verse 13. Verse 13, Amplified Classic says this. And when the devil had ended the complete cycle of temptation, he temporarily left him, that is, stood off from him until another more opportune and favorable time. The devil is always going to be standing, looking over your shoulder, trying to figure out ways to trip you up. And just because he doesn't get you with plan A does not mean he doesn't have a plan G or M or X or triple Z. He is going to be observant. What is he observing? When you're at your weakest, when you're at your most vulnerable. He wants a more opportune and favorable time. So you have to stay on your game. You have to remain alert. As they say, keep your head on a swivel. Spiritually and physically. Because he's only left you for a season. When you are at your weakest, though, don't be surprised if he shows back up with an attack. It lines up with 1 Peter. What does it say? 1 Peter says this. King James Version and the voice, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. King James, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The voice says this, most importantly, be disciplined and stay on guard. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around outside like a roaring lion, just waiting and hoping for the chance to devour someone. When you are in your unfamiliar place, keep guard. I like those words, stay on guard and be disciplined. We like to stay on guard. I think we got that part. But it's the discipline that we lack sometimes. There is a benefit to discipline. Discipline will keep you even when your emotions say something different. Let me give you an example. Sometimes, husband and wives will talk about finances. One will be disciplined, the other one not. The discipline agreement is, when we are going to spend things above this level, we will talk. If you adhere to that discipline, it keeps unwanted purchases, not that you can't make the purchase, but it keeps unwanted purchases from just happening because you show discipline. If you adhere to the discipline, you at least get a chance to discuss before it happens. Discipline. When you keep spiritual discipline, it keeps you. What spiritual discipline? When something hits my spirit, before I act, pray. That's discipline. When something hits my spirit, before I act, seek the word. Discipline. When something hits my spirit, before I act, where is that accountability partner? Discipline. Discipline keeps people from running off off the cuff 
and going and jumping somebody's house, starting a fight, when if you had called your accountability partner, they would have talked you off the edge. Discipline. Discipline. When you're in your unfamiliar place, be on your guard and stay disciplined. And when you fight the devil, fight to win. Jesus was in the wilderness, and we can say he resisted the devil, but what he did, even though he didn't throw his fist, so to speak, spiritually, he fought him. You and I should do the same. Fight. But don't fight alone. Jesus was submitted. The age of 12, he studied. Holy Spirit inside. Led, led and guided by the Holy Spirit. So he went into the wilderness with a God-submitted position. He was in the, in the wilderness submitting and fighting against the devil. We probably went through two of those things that we said were unfamiliar to Jesus. We talked about him being mortal. We talked about dealing with the flesh. But I also mentioned Jesus being the door, that he also had a cross experience. We're going to put a pin right there, and we will introduce thoughts of the cross experience the next time we're together. The next time we're together, we will close out this subseries on the door and actually end my installment on the series Peace Within. But for now, I want you to say something with me before we wrap this thing up. Say, starting today, starting today I, will I will get my mind set, get my mind set on, submitting on submitting and fighting. And fighting. I, will remain I will remain submitted to God but in my fight, I'm going to amp it up. I'm going to give the devil the business. When he comes my way, he best to be careful. I'm going to hit him hard, and I'm going to fight until one of us can no longer fight, and that person still standing is going to be me. I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for my health. I'm going to fight for my children. I'm going to fight for everything that God has promised me. For my finances, I'm going to fight. For my peace of mind, I'm going to fight. Against depression, I'm going to fight. Against hatred, I'm going to fight. As long as I stay submitted to God. I will have the wisdom to sustain the fight. But when it comes to my part, I will keep up the fight until the victory is mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God some praise. You got to fight. In your unfamiliar place, and as we've always said, in your familiar place too, but we're talking about unfamiliar place. You got to fight. The unfamiliar place is not always a physical place. Unfamiliar thoughts, unfamiliar feelings. Uncomfortability. But we submit and we fight. God, I thank you that we all have ears to hear and we receive this word today. 
our inner being is prepared to amp up our fight. For too long, the enemy has found us strong in the work, but weak, but weak on fight. On our knees praying, but weak on fight. Starting today, we're both a submitter to God and a fighter with a victory mindset. For every person who's been knocked down, our prayers that they get up. Yeah, brush it off. It hurt, brush it off. He got you good, brush it off. God ain't done with you yet. Wish it hadn't happened that way, brush it off. Do not submit to defeat. The Holy Spirit resides on the inside of you. When Jesus left the Holy Spirit with us, he left us power. He gave us a helper and a comforter. Gosh, he gave us the advantage. Don't lose when you have every advantage for winning. And we pray, God, that everybody here leaves charged with a new perspective and an expectation of winning and fulfilling the call and the purpose that you have for them, no matter what the devil brings their way. Mm. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.